been a long time. Uh, it's, it has been. Well, it has been. Well, we were just on Blake Blakesley's um, Solaris podcast, so we chatted then. But yeah, that um, was about something else. <laughs> that was about something else. It's been a long time on this show. A little. A little it bit. has been. Yeah. It has so been. I've missed you. I'm glad to have you miss, back. Missed you too. Missed to be missed being on uh, Criterion now. <laughs> well, you'll you always have a place. Uh, and so everybody, Aww. Brad McDermott. Uh, good friend podcast guest uh, occasionally and um we wanted to so let me just kind of tee this this uh episode up uh, we got or the signifying works of marlon riggs uh, box set I, I put it in quotes because it's really just two discs uh it's almost kind of like the jean vigo and i put it in and was really excited about it really interesting content and uh and i enjoyed it and we'll get into that and I was just searching the Facebook group to see who else had seen it and or had the set, and your name came up, Brad. And so I, uh, I reached out and I was like, "Hey, how about a Marlon Riggs episode?" And you were like, "Sure." And then I thought about it, and I thought about you know, asked you because you've been on the show and you, I know you had it. I didn't think about how you identify, so <laughs> I asked if that if you were cool with that. And why don't you say how how you responded if you remember? Oh yes, I I. Didn't even think I, I didn't even think about it because uh, I mean you can I, so I'll identify I am a white gay male um, but when you asked me that wasn't what came to my mind because I am gay just like Marlon Riggs mm-hmm. but I thought sure I mean I have a specific perspective of this being gay um, as a white man I don't have that perspective that Marlon Riggs does but I can. Um, share definitely so, some insight um, onto these films. Being a, a, a gay man who sort of grew up around the same time that he was making these films, so yeah, I guess you were, sure. yeah, and so so do, so was I. Uh, and well, the joke you said is, Aaron, I'll, I'll be gay on your show. <laughs> oh, okay. the, the way <laughs> you phrased better. it, I don't, I don't know if, if you meant it to be funny, but it it it, it was funny. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm straight white male. Uh, yeah, straight white male. Uh, I have a little bit of a disabled background, so I, I do get involved with IND inclusion and diversity at my work- workplace. And as a matter of fact, I watched this set right before I moderated an LGBTQ plus panel for a local charity, and uh, it's a pretty big event, uh, pretty big honor for my company to ask me to do that. And, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was. It was so. I had that. This I'd watched all of the, these Marlon Riggs the weekend prior. Uh, the, that panel was on a Monday, and I'll put it in the show notes if, if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, you'll see what I work or where I work and how I um, how I uh, can clean up a little bit. But uh, it, these the set really did inform that uh, that conversation. So so yeah, as we. As we get into this, oh, one more thing about my context, uh, having um, gone through this, people that have listened to like the Matthew Modine episode, you might remember I talked about my dad and what he did for HIV. You know, he basically worked for uh, CDC and uh, and prevention. So this was, I kind of lived in this world, even though I didn't, you know, identify. So, uh, so I have perspective, not the same as you, Brad, but some perspective. I have perspective into Jesse Holmes. <laughs> we'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we, we know that not everybody's seen this set, and we don't often do episodes on, on this podcast about a single title. 
Uh, although I think that's going to change. I'd like to do more. Um, yeah, I kind of like this idea. Yeah. I, so This release is like so important. It absolutely deserves com- one. Completely, yes. We'll, we'll kind of dive, dive in the shallow end at first and just kind of give our high-level impressions. Um, not that we don't want to spoil anything, uh, just that you know, this set is really good at creating conversations. And I, Brad, I think we'll have a, a really good one. But, I, you know, it, I think people that have not seen it will not benefit from those conversations. So maybe listen to a little bit, and then, uh, you know, if you decide to get the set, uh, listen to maybe uh, the second half of this episode, and where we dig in a little further and share how our perspectives. Uh, so, overview of Marlon Riggs and, and this uh, set. Uh, what, what do you think... Um, uh, it's a, he's a singular voice with a uh, singular perspective that I don't think uh, has been <clears throat> in cinema before him. Um, he was he was car- he, like carving new territory, and I think he does that um, it's so enjoyably um, mm-hmm. uh, that the the weight of these films. Um, are carried by uh, how much he loves filmmaking and how much he loves to entertain, um, mm-hmm. even when he's when he's uh, dealing with content that is um, very difficult and very um, yeah difficult. Yeah, he's he was fun and uh, he was really a character uh, mm-hmm. and. So yeah, he he worked in public uh, film or you know PBS type of film, which is uh, you're in Canada, Brad. So you might not. We do get PBS. Okay, we I think do. it's the, kind of the same as um, the Canadian. Uh, what's the Scott Pilgrim? My wife will kill me if I forget this. Do you mean CBC? CBC, yeah, maybe yeah. sort of similar. Kind of similar. Kind of similar. See. Uh... There are differences like CBC is government funded, but it it is a television station that's sort of equal with the rest of them. Whereas I know PBS is is for this kind of stuff. Special. Yeah. um, Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. More more arts, uh, public interest uh, type of content and Uh, and local and local television. Right. CBC is not really local. It's sort of one main hub. Anyways. You know, you had you had Sesame Street on on public uh, broadcasting and a lot of kids shows, but then you did you do have uh, you know sort of think pieces uh, later and uh, conversation starters, so, and that still happens actually. There, there's a, a series called POV, and I think actually Riggs has been on that series, so it goes back a long ways. But yeah, he has he, his uh, his uh, introductions are included in the set from POV. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting to see that, and yeah, he he was a gay black man and he lived in georgia and then germany and then san francisco harvard and then san francisco you're right you're right so yeah, he yeah. he was a, a interesting character interesting background um which i think informed his work and we'll there's a good documentary on the set about him so we'll kind of dig into his life a little bit when we talk about that but he um he was a uh, a young uh, filmmaker and had a lot of talent and it's, it turned out to be very prolific, uh, made a big splash with his first film, which was called uh, Ethnic Notions, which is m- more about uh, race. And, and in fact, even though he was a gay black man, there is really a dividing line on a lot of his work. Um, some of it's pure, purely about being a black person or or, 
I guess the black experience in America, especially, and then the others are about being a gay black. Uh, would, would you agree with that? Yes, I think so. That's a that's a good way of putting it. And there there's also traditional documentary styles and experimental, and so uh, it, it's kind of a nice dividing line on how to look at these. Uh, so, Brad, uh, you know, I talked about my impression of the set a little bit. Um, so I know you got it at about the same time and had been watching it over the last month or so. Um, so what, what, what's your first impression or, or what's your take on this set, uh, just in terms of it being a Criterion release? Um, well, the you know, the old adage is, is that Criterion is film school in a box. And um, this is, I think, a great example of that. Um, it's completely thorough. Uh, all of his films, uh, supplementary content, both of the time that it was made and also modern reflections where they bring some of the his people that he had interviewed back um, for further conversations about how his films look uh, here in 2021. <clears throat> um, the booklet is a great essay um, and, uh, you know, great d- descriptions of of each of the films it's just it feels like a a complete thing mm-hmm. of him thing I mean, it's not a great word but like yes film school in a box it is an entirely uh thorough yeah and it really is i mean he i, I love the cover because you know the cover is a, a very important scene from uh tonglen tide mm-hmm. and it shows how much he put himself into his work, uh, and not just his face and voice, but his experience and his perspective. Uh, so yeah, I I bought it, and it arrived early. I think uh, you know I get it from, got it from Criterion, so sometimes I get lucky and they'll, they'll arrive on a Saturday before the release date. And I put in tongues and or, or, sorry, ethic notions, and I think I had finished the box set within three days. So yeah, before that um, that LGBTQ plus panel. And I that included the features. I didn't do a lot. I didn't get outside that much that weekend. Um, so, and I was just blown away by how um, how much I learned from it first, and mm-hmm. but, but also how gripping it was. How um, you know how how the you're, you're right. This is a thorough, complete picture of Marlon Riggs. Really, his entire output, uh, all the context behind that, and. So I, I, I might be hyperbolic, but immediately I thought this is like one of the best releases in, you know, within the last few years. It's in the conversation, at least. Now, I, that might be too much. Um, but with, with your perspective, did, uh, you know, did you feel that impact? Oh, I, I think I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, I think it is one of the best, uh, certainly one of the most important uh, releases of the past few years. Um, I, yeah. I had seen, so I'd seen Tongues Untied before the set because, uh, all of his films were on the channel uh, a few months ago. I can't remember exactly the month where they were on the channel, but a ten, Tongues Untied has been, is this, uh, sort of gay film that has just always had word of mouth within mm-hmm. the community. So it would have been on my, you know, letterbox view list for a while, but some of these things are so hard to see, um, um, so when Criterion put it on the channel, um, I, I watched it immediately and it was fantastic. It was everything, um, that I had heard. And, and again, it is, uh, so great at educating, uh, about a specific aspect of, uh, queer culture that I had not 
been had not seen so uh, clearly communicated before. So mm-hmm. it was just, it was it was great. And then when they announced the box set, I thought, oh, it would be so. I'll just pick this up because based off of how much I liked Long Tongue liked Tongue Zung Tied. And then I, I dive into it, and then you asked me to do this podcast, so I thought, okay, I'll <laughs> dive into it faster, <laughs> so you have it all done <laughs> in time um, to comment on it. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just ask: Did you have an easy time with the uh, the disc as I did? Um, oh yeah, it's it's um, like I said earlier, like it just is so clear and and uh entertaining like his visual language and his director choices um is always with that in mind it's always to entertain and educate um no matter what sort of stylistic uh techniques he's using it's always uh it's always for those two purposes so it never feels uh like um too too much of an effort they're really they're really enjoyable works yeah and he uh he really was truly independent these were not huge funding um funded pictures in fact i think uh, tongues untied was i think they well he he said in the documentary five thousand dollars to film it Mm -hmm. that that seems a little little low on the low side however you know i it is a lot of you know just speaking into the camera and I, i doubt if a lot of people got paid a whole lot um but yeah, and, and the techniques he uses are like he hired his friends from mm-hmm. the uh, gay male so, uh, uh, groups in San Francisco that he was a part of, and a lot of them were singers and dancers, and so a lot of tongues untied. The the visual language and 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 that he's using and sound language is is those so. I don't, you know, I don't know how much he paid them if if he paid them at all, but it's he's really great at finding uh, things that would give him the best cinematic value for you know yeah. the the cheapest buck, which is what every filmmaker up and down the the pay scale aspires to do. So um, you know, he's take what's what what you have access to, what has surrounded you, um, and make it work for you. Mm-hmm. He's also a really good editor too, and he had a oh, really, absolutely, yeah, a yeah. really good team behind him as well. Which uh, you know, given and this is not a spoiler, you know, he he did pass of AIDS in the nineties, uh, and so that's omnipresent throughout uh, these uh, these films. You know, him the fact that he was living with AIDS, but yeah, his I mean, he showed his chops as a filmmaker like a traditional standard documentary filmmaker with his really the two racial ones, which are uh, ethnic notions and uh, color adjustment. And, and those are excellent, by the way, and we'll get to those in a second. But then I think he showed his flourish and his passion expression, really. When I th- see Tongues Untied, you know, I, I can't identify from the perspective, but it just feels like people comfortably expressing their identity um, and and also the, the the fears the world in which they were living in is that a, a way you'd put that? Oh, definitely. Um, and and he does through if to to go back to the editing, uh, he does that by thinking of film. Um, I mean, in 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 these these in this way, like tongues untied, black is black ain't. Mm-hmm. Um, he's far more experimental. 
um, as we we will get to. But his use of editing is to uh, treat cinema like poetry, I think, um, and and just sort of break it up into uh, visual and auditory beats um, that entertain you, whether through poetry, Mm -hmm. um, through movement in front of the camera, through song, um, anything. He he just, uh, he's, you know, just sort of uh, cooking up a brew, right? He's just, he knows all of these ingredients that, yeah, (laughs) exactly, the gumbo. He knows all of these ingredients that make up cinema and, um, it just seems so effortless uh, for him to to uh, you know in, uh, weave us in in this in this spell. Yeah, and, and it's s- such a amazing body of work uh, in such a short time period. I, you know, he started I think in his thirties or so. So, and of course, he he died uh, far too young. And you know, it is a tragedy that we don't have him as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, into his 50s, 60s, I mean, he would probably be in his 70s now, I think. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have that, you know, if a, a additional body of work. He probably, you know, could have maybe reached more people if he had lived. And obviously it's a tragedy. His death was terrible and that he had to go through that. However, there is a sense of urgency in these films. And I think that his situation really sped up his, and it made him more pr- prolific, and also I think it made him more impassioned. So he really wanted to get this message out here, and he had the tools to do it. So again, not dying from AIDS is not a good thing, but this box and this material is definitely a product of that. So um, in one one of the movies, he mentioned you know other black icons, Harriet Tub- Tubman. Actually, several times he does this. Frederick Douglass. MLK and how they left an impact that went beyond their life. And he certainly did that. Uh, And I think, to your point, I haven't seen a filmmaker that's covered black gay living during AIDS uh, topic ever, really. Have you? No, I haven't. Um, I've seen films that are pieces of that, but not um, all of those three elements uh, together in one artist. Yeah, there's Longtime Companion. There's a couple couple 90s films that you know hit hit on the topic a little bit but yeah there's also in the band band played on i mentioned matthew modine we we got Mm -hmm. to talk about that and that was more about the oh and there's the the times of harvey milk as well that's a good one um however that's not that's really just more san francisco gay so Mm -hmm. there's some overlap and white and well very very white (laughs) (laughs) and there's a little bit of that in, in in this films too I also mentioned I lived in San Francisco around the time he started out. I left when I was 14 for Georgia. So, um, And what's interesting is I actually talked to a black person in Georgia, and that didn't go well for me. So, oh. so I, I was able to relate a little bit uh, to his experience. So let's start with his traditional feature documentaries on black, uh, just being black in America. And let's start with his first film, Ethnic Notions. So this is a, it's really a, a, a journey through history of uh, the black caricature, I guess you could say. Uh, it has, uh, you know, the stereotypes and how they were perpetuated and how these, what are now racist tropes, uh, still exist. Uh, sometimes we, they're not as obvious as others. And so he gets into, you know, kind of like uh, Sambo and uh, some of the, some of like the uh, 
what do they say, like the faces they make mm-hmm. that became the caricature and the stereotype. Also gets into the minstrel show. Uh, so actually, uh, uh, Bamboozled is a good uh, pairing with this film. Yes. And it really brought a lot of, you know, images from, you know, from film, comic, or I mean, not comics, but uh, cartoons. Cartoons. And then yeah. objects, too. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. What did you think of uh, Ethnic Notions? I think it is, um, like, it should be essential viewing. It's kind of such a complete uh, uh, breakdown of these elements. Um, and he orchestrates the through so clearly for you that uh, all the the different stereotype um, ideas they have names. Um, he he's great at like starting it with that Dixieland sign and and uh, where it pans over to the the different faces that represent each of those uh, racial stereotypes, and then uh, from there. He, he dissects each one and you can see several examples like you said from film um, from from ads yeah. from objects from cartoons and then um, how those stereotypes evolved um, while still while still maintaining the same the the awful um, origins the awful ideas that originated them and why why they persist um, so what's, uh, what I think is so great is, is just that, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of like a textbook example. I had never seen anything do it this thorough before. Um, so, you know, I, my takeaway, like I, I, I can understand these completely when I see them pop up mm-hmm. and in a way that I had never really been exposed to before. Yeah. Uh, and it's only an hour too. It's gets mm-hmm. its message out very efficiently, effectively, entertaining. Uh, again, he's even with his uh, traditional documentaries, still very entertaining. And uh, and I, I think that there are still um, edges of that sort of uh, playfulness, well, not playfulness, edges of that yeah, a experimentalism. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Like like he's he's really good at like we had mentioned editing, mm-hmm. uh, sort of point and counterpoint. One of my favorite moments in Ethnic Notions, uh, he's showing a old black and white film with a mammy character uh, who is uh, washing clothes on a on a washboard, and she's singing a song about how black people don't dream. It's a really awful song, yeah. but that's that's the song she's singing, and he intercuts it with Martin Luther King's "I Had a Dream" that's speech. Right as like as the counterpoint to that and it's that kind of um observation that really intelligent he's very astute as to how to make those juxtapositions um by by it's a whole idea by just contrasting those two pieces of of footage and it's it's really great yeah and he does get in 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 depth with uh blackface and the minstrel show and how, you know, that that was, well, we've seen Birth of a Nation. Um, I assume you've seen it. A lot of our listeners probably have seen it. I haven't actually seen Birth of a Nation. I know of it, but I haven't seen it. It's a terrible movie that I would <laughs> recommend watching someday. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to not gonna agree with its values, but um, but I think as a, if, if you're into film history, it's essential, but it's horrific. Yes, uh, yes. But, but it, it, and he shows uh, clips of that in this film as well. And it shows the, the white actors with blackface and, uh, and how menacing they, they were. Um, 
you know, saying that about the African Americans. And uh, although they they called them much worse back then, but mm-hmm. we have a checkered past in America. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you share that in Canada, Brad, but uh, oh, definitely. Do you? Um, okay. There is, yeah, there is definitely there is racism in Canada. <laughs> But it was also interesting how, uh, you know, he t- talks about Step and Fetch It and uh, other black, uh, I guess, performers or uh, people that co-opted that. And uh, that became their, um, you know, they, they, they participated uh, in this culture, this systemic, stereotypical, racist culture. Uh, and probably it was just to get work. And it's uh, sad that they had to do that. Um one of the really notable pieces that I took from that was uh, the the gentleman, the modern day gentleman who put himself in blackface. Yes, that was a very effective scene, and it kind of put into context. It's like this is history, but you know, it's it's not forgotten history. You know, it still permeates us. It's still here, absolutely. And again, with that scene, he is uh, though this might be a more straightforward documentary. He's adding elements of experimental uh documentary form here with with performance Mm -hmm. and breaking the fourth wall that kind of stuff he likes to do that and and i I think we we see hints of what was to come here a little bit of that do you do you agree sorry say that again we see hints of what uh you know sort of the filmmaking style he would evolve into here um sort of his origin story uh in fact that i think that's a good definitely a lot, some some elements of ethnic notions. You feel like he would want, he was wanting to to go further with this, but maybe uh, pulled back e- either because it would might complicate the message, or or maybe not be as received as well as 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 what he was hoping for. And I think it's also notable that he's really not in this. I, I can't recall if he's in it at all, but. Uh, and that's the same case with uh, the his other, you know, closest to standard or traditional documentary, which I think if if you're on board with, maybe we'll just jump to that one because sure, there is a, a, a one great ed- a moment of editing from um, from ethnic notions that he uh, brings to color adjustment in the form of uh, Jimmy Walker that I thought was very effective, uh, but yes. So Color Adjustment was not his next film. It, it came out in 1992, and he had already made uh, Tongues and Tide and, and a few other films. And he was well-known. Uh, ethnic, ethnic Notions was a big success for him, really put him on the map. So, um, And Tongues on Tide, had, he had a lot of press coverage uh, for Tongues on Tide. Yeah, he really was in his own uh, as a filmmaker. What's interesting mm-hmm. is after Tongues Untied, which we'll get to in a minute, he goes back to standard, mostly standard, um, documentary filmmaking. Uh, it's a little longer than uh, Ethnic Notions. I think it's a, maybe an hour and a half or so, maybe a little, not quite. But yeah, uh, so Color Adjustment is a look at the black, uh, the white and black experience and the history of it uh, as portrayed through TV. And so it kind of picks up, it's almost like you could call it a sequel to Ethnic Notions. It's like, okay, this is our... Definitely. Yeah, film, you know, the caricatures, all that. Well, you know, media evolved into television. Uh, You know, it had stats. I I think uh, pretty much everybody had a TV by the the 50s. 
and uh, now everybody has five uh, or you know 4Ks. Maybe not everybody, of course. That's that's a little privileged. But the thing is, the networks showed, you know, they they wanted to show content that was uh, comfortable for white America, sadly. And uh, so some of that was very problematic. Um, and it, it, and over time, black blacks were portrayed in um, on te- television, n- not at first. Uh, you know, they kind of dipped their toes in the water. But then we uh, we got really the sitcom, um, and, and not not exclusively, but that's really what it evolved into. And he I, he was really effective at navigating through these different shows and how they, you know, I don't know if I'd say grew because maybe the word is more evolved into portraying black Americans and they never really arrived at like a great way to do it is basically, I think the thesis of this. Yes, I I agree. I, I don't know if they have yet. I mean, maybe the wire, I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? Um, I don't know. I know I, I don't I wouldn't know I haven't seen the wire so I don't know uh, if they if we have arrived at the best place I would say it's probably kept getting it has been getting better um, but I'm not I'm not knowledgeable enough to make an a, 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 an assessment on that actually I'll, I'll we have uh, so Watchmen uh, the 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 HBO Watchmen yep, that's a good one uh, that was Lovecraft Country yeah so I haven't seen Lovecraft Lovecraft Country, but um, but yeah, no, it, it does seem, and I, I think there there were just more at really the se- success of the Co- the Cosby Show, which is weird seeing, by the way, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> if only uh, if only Riggs had, had known. Uh, so, what was your your ta- your response to this film? Um, I like you. It's uh, it's a great. It is a sequel, I think, to Ethnic Notions. It picks up where Ethnic Notions comes. Uh, where I think Hoshis ends. And just like that, it is also uh, thorough in the way it breaks down um, the generations of television and um, how each generation gets its sort of different versions of the way uh, black characters are portrayed on television in front of them. And like ethnic notions, there is a little bit, uh, again, of his um, experimental ideas in here, which I really, uh, I always really appreciate. Um, I love the, the, this, the titles where he puts an update as to the percentage of people yeah. who ha- are getting television over, over the decades. Um, my, one of my favorite moments is when in the Cosby show, um, they're explaining um, their their wealth, their status right. to, to their daughter, um, Mr. Mr. H- Mr. Mrs. Huxtable. And there's a superimposition at the bottom of just the, the percentage of um, African-Americans in poverty as again, that great counterpoint, uh, those great juxtapositions that he's so, so good at. Um, uh, other, I loved also his, again, his intercutting, with um, a more Bill Cosby, I Spy, with yeah, uh, and and also the show Judith, um, with what with uh, the riots that were actually happening at that time. Um, so there's this great uh, contrast between, you know, the relationships between black and white Americans on a show like 
like is it Judith Julia Julia sorry not Judith Julia um, where everyone seems very hunky dory but that those relationships were not happening in real life where there was a great and deal of of uh, riot and unrest and violence um, police violence um, yeah just that was very people very effective violence yeah um, and. There was one other thing I had said. It'll come to me um, <laughs> later. Well, uh, but yeah, um, he's again. He's just uh, great at being so th- completely thorough. Um, bef- you know, in 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 this form as well. Yeah, one one thing that was it was interesting is what type of black person Americans, white Americans, would invite or tolerate on their their sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I'm not going to say that we, we certainly have racist America here, but uh, we. I think there's probably predom- you know more racist pop- percentage of the population then than now, uh, which I'd say is a positive thing. But like for they start with Nat King Cole, and uh, and he was almost the the ideal uh, black American to be on TV, like completely harmless mm-hmm. and completely charming and super talented as well. But it mm-hmm. it didn't work out, and then right. and then Diane Carroll. Uh, She's. I think she is kind of in that in the spirit of Nat King Cole, uh, different type of talent, but you know, sort of. Was Amos and Andy before? Amos and Andy was before. Yeah, and that was interesting before, yeah. too. Yeah, because they were um, they were caricatures. I thought it was interesting how some people reflected on them, and yes, they were uh, problematic, but they also also were good too. And I, that was interesting, and I I like the way that. Riggs makes in in his interviews he asks these uncomfortable questions and and some of the testimonies that uh his subjects give you can kind of see them sort of squirm a bit sort of you know try to wrestle this in their heads um and maybe give an answer that they themselves don't 100 percent believe in um and he's not he's not afraid of that which is which i which i love yeah, and you're, he actually does get get a lot of very uh, Im- important guests, uh, people behind these shows. Uh, so we're, and I think a lot of them had good intentions, mm-hmm. but and and I, I wouldn't say that like any of their answers were racist. Maybe there was some unconscious bias, but uh, but yeah, no, he 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 did not hold back. Um, and one thing was interesting is you remember the East Side West Side point? That was the one with. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, George C. Scott, where they looked at the white side of town, yes, the black side of town. Yes. Yeah. No, I thought that one was very interesting and mm-hmm. way ahead of its time. Um, Absolutely. And I think that says something about America. Uh, and again, the yeah, the great intercutting with the riots. What was really happening versus what TV showed you was happening in the black community didn't align. But a show that finally shows some of that and. No, nobody watched it. Yeah, and that his speech he gives uh, is great at that that sort of the racism in in that sort of white liberalism, that kind of thing that mm-hmm. Jordan Peele is now <laughs> now pointed out so great and Get Out. Um, it also reminded me of uh, Melvin Van Peebles uh, dealing with it in The Watermelon Man as well. Yeah, and and here it is uh, before all of that, and and like you said, it. It, no one, no one watched it. No one paid attention to it. Yet it, it was such a, a, a it seems so, 
ahead of its time. Yeah, and and Georgie's got. I think it was earlier in his career, but he was a uh, he, he was well known. I I know he'd done Anatomy of Murder by then. So when was Doctor Strange Love? Was that around there too? Oh, 1964. So, uh, so I think this was probably a little bit before, before that, or maybe right around that time. I, I, I forget, but yeah, uh, yeah. If you think that any, uh, any George C. Scott vehicle on TV would have legs, but, uh, mm-hmm. and that's the, the, the balance. So I, I did agree with his thesis, but also, you know, you had to show, you know, society doesn't really always want to look inward if that makes sense, uh, at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. And so I kind of understand why in 1964 people wouldn't watch that. And actually, that's a good transition into the 70s. I was really fascinated by, you know, his portrayal of black television there, especially with All in the Family and uh, and the way Archie Bunker was actually kind of shocking because I had seen that show, but I, I guess I had not realized, uh, you know, what type of character Bunker was. But uh, yeah, he was he was terrible. Yes, <laughs> and, and, but it it was a it was the idea that you know sitcoms had been that sort of uh, uh, haven of escapism where uh, you know it, on on these sitcoms none of the unrest that was happening at the times was there and all in the family was sort of the first sitcom that shook that up mm-hmm. and said, no, that unrest is in all of our homes. And this is something that, uh, that families are dealing with. So, um, let's talk about it. Yeah. The, this, the scene with uh, Sammy Davis jr. Was, uh, was really fascinating. Um, yes. And, <laughs> I haven't watched the show, you know, from beginning to end. I've seen bits and pieces. Uh, yeah, I've seen the odd episode here and there as well. Yeah, so it's uh, I, I'm almost curious to watch that from beginning to end. I, I'll never never have the time. I have too many movies to watch, and I'd, I'd rather watch Watermelon Man, which is and or other Van Peebles, and which are great. But um, it's a great film. Then we get into the black the black sitcoms as well, and uh, what's happening? Uh, what else? Oh, there's um, the Jeffersons. So it, it was interesting and good good times, and, right? And good times, yeah. They they yeah they uh they're pretty crushing with good times. Um, I was going to say that the reference you had made earlier about the 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 footage from Ethnic Notions Intercut. Um, are you talking about the sequence when he when he discusses good times? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And they cut Jimmy very effectively. Um, Jimmy doing a little dance with uh, some of that mm-hmm. minstrel footage uh, and some of those images. Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of yeah. kind of rough on it, but I I, I get it. You know, it, it had a mission of portraying you know a, like a real black family, and then it became part of the problem, really. Mm-hmm. So, had, had you seen Good Times or when you grew up? Did you watch a lot of these uh, sitcoms? Um, no, like so so. I mean, I I sort of came in came of age in the nineties, so some of this stuff that he's talking about was a bit before me mm. especially this time this era like good times and the jeffersons this was kind of be- a bit before me yeah i saw a lot of it and um he, he does not bring up uh different strokes i think he might have hints at it uh but doesn't really get, get go into depth which is interesting because it's a rich white family that adopts two black kids and mm-hmm. and then also silver spoons which is the same that you have a, a rich white family and he has a black friend and 
that that was uh, uh I think his name is Alfonso Rivera, and he went on to do another. I think um, I, I forget the name of the show from the nineties. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, things, and then of course that evolves into the Co- uh, the Cosby Show, which is really when. I mean, these shows were all successful, but I think the Cosby Show is the, probably the first one to really break through and be considered among the top shows of its time, I believe. Uh, did you see this growing up, the Cosby Show? Yes, I did see the Cosby Show growing up. And did you think, oh, this is uh, problematic? I was really young, so I'm not <laughs> sure how... Um... <laughs> Well versed in these complex issues that I was when I was same, growing same up. here. I'm not indicting you. I'm indicting. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's a challenge because he he was funny. Yeah, and I mean, I think Marlon makes a a great point in contextualizing all of this for us, where it, it there are problems in showing. Um, in thinking that depicting African-Americans as succeeding in the upper middle class, I mean, denies of the, the, the poverty issues that are actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this idea that they must, that like that's that they have the only way that they're acceptable is to achieve that level of success, which is not accept, which is not, which is a terrible idea as well. Yeah, there were not a lot of pathways for for uh, black families to achieve Cosby-like success. I mean, right. it happened. I mean, there were plenty of successful black people in the '80s and '90s, but yeah, it's it's not your typical black household. So I think that's what he's saying is that uh, again, TV you know, throughout history, it was a you know maybe there was pro- progress. Uh, you know, I, I think. You know, to the the point about Nat King Cole, if there was a Bill Cosby in 1940, he would not have gotten on TV. Mm-hmm. Or I think, was TV there in 1940? Maybe 1950. Um, and and I think there's a the bigger idea is also that they touch on that um, it, there's there's uh, to this idea that we can solve racism by just representing. Uh, a certain type of African-American on television. It is itself mm-hmm. a very flawed idea. And yeah, I, th- I think they got it. The, the closest to okay, uh, it seems like, was Roots, which was kind of interesting mm. because uh, I forget, was that Norman Lear? Uh, whoever was uh, was the producer of Roots, uh, you know, they have an on-camera interview with him, and he talks about how he had to make it accessible for white people. And so that he had to op- welcome them in uh, with. Yeah, the... he's very upfront about that. Yeah, yeah. Y- yet it was a, an impactful uh, show, and uh, I, you know, just the the, the people that remembered uh, that how that felt within the black community, and to see themselves on screen, um, you know, I, you know, so it is a mixed bag. So yeah, it was never an ideal portrayal, but it allowed people to see themselves in in the, uh, the the media that they cons- consumed. So, mm-hmm. interesting. So, I, I think that probably wraps up color adjustment. We have a lot to say. I, I just wanted to add uh, just one extra thing. What I really like about color adjustment is, again, this is his f- filmmaking. 
um, is all through these periods of of television, he interjects these still frames of various families watching television. So you would see yeah. the still yeah. image of a family, and then he superimposes whatever uh, television show he's talking about at the moment into this uh, still image. So there, and there are different families. There are black families. There are white families. Um, different uh, uh, generations of families um, and you're so whatever he's talking about he shows you this image and you're constantly reminded mm-hmm. of what these people would have been like w- seeing this image on screen and it's such a again a great way of of adding uh, thematic layers to the discussion um, you know inexpensively um, where that idea is like, oh, what is it like for a black family to actually see this image of Roots on screen? You know, that's not something that I, as a white person, was was a part of. So you're just always uh, being thrown these images to recontextualize everything that you have known that he's talking about. And um, it's just a great, great editorial and uh, directing decisions. Agree. And I, I think it was interesting that uh, a lot of the, the white nuclear families, those still shots really reflected a lot of the content from white, uh, white classic TV. So, um, yes. So I think that was very telling and very deliberate on his part as well. Uh, he was Absolutely. Trying, to, trying to point out the, uh, yeah, they can see themselves. We can't see ourselves is basically mm-hmm. it. Well, that's a good uh, good time to transition to uh, some of the other features uh, really about being gay and black, which I think uh, I think we'll have some, some things to say about those as well. So Tongues Untied. Uh, Brad, I'm, I'm not going to be a straight-splainer. <laughs> I'm going to no listen, <laughs> listen and, and ask questions and hear your, your thoughts uh, since you have, uh, you know, your how you identify uh, gives you a different perspective, but I have to ask, I, they have a lot of snapping in this film. <laughs> is, is that a thing in the, in the gay community? Yes. Um, so uh, as far as I understand it, um, and this is great because it connects to another criterion film, Paris is burning. Yes. Um, snapping uh, originated in like so many uh, of these sort of gay, be, you know, behaviors i guess you call them in the ball community in new york um in uh, the uh, 60s i'm guessing i'm not i can't remember when the ball community started but um so here uh marlon is teaching us about the various ways um though that you can snap and the different uh snaps and and w- what actually they communicate um, which is, I think, fascinating yeah. and fun. <laughs> and um, and again, uh, it goes to um, his uh, belief in entertaining us as well as educating us. Yeah, because uh, the snapping was fun. Uh, and, and yet he also uses that as a bridge to get to some of the more serious uh, aspects mm-hmm. of the film. I'm thinking of, of the shot that's choreographed with them snapping and he's there right in front and, uh, you know, kind of does does the, the snap in tandem with about 10 other people. Um, I can't snap. And uh, if you, if I, I can try, <laughs> I don't know if the mic picked it up, but I could hear that. I heard okay. that, <laughs> uh, but I cannot snap like that. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned Paris is burning because that is, in fact, there's a little bit of Paris is burning in this film. 
and uh, this is definitely a different style documentary. Uh, so you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so Tongues Untied uh, is him venturing um, into uh, – so after Ethnic Notions – this was after this is immediately after the yeah. options i believe yeah um is tongues untied and so uh this is him uh delving deep into more experimental um cinema so um we had touched on this a bit earlier but uh he's using editing he's using choreography dance um movement like like the snap across mm-hmm. the camera and um, breaking these elements out up to less tell a coherent story and more to um, entertain, to create, to create um, feelings, I think, yeah. in how he feels. Um, it's, it's, more, it's more equal to poetry on screen, I believe. Yeah, literally and figure, figuratively. Uh, yep. And that's one thing watching this, uh, you know, I was very moved by it. And it's it's a challenging film at times as well, and uh, I can't I, I I can be friends with with you and I can be an ally, but I can never really fully understand what it's like to be gay, gay in America, and I can just listen. But I felt like this, unlike any other film, gave me a little more window into what that life is like. And since you have a closer look, uh, do you, do you think that's fair to say? Is, does this uh, show I, what being gay in America is like? I know you're in Canada. um uh yes i I think it does and um i mean just like you said i i don't know what it's like to be a gay black man in america in in this time um but i i i always say like roger ebert said film is an empathy machine and i think marlon riggs is exactly what he meant um where I only know what it's like through the filmmaker Marlon Riggs and through what he is educating me about what it's like to be a, a gay black man who is HIV positive in in the 90s. Um, and so, yes, to your point, I am gay, so I can, I can recognize certain elements of this. Um, uh, definitely the homophobia, um, definitely being called the f word by people um mm-hmm. definitely uh, uh relig- the reli- that uh, organized religions um st- you know pushing back um the political elements um pushing back against you that was that was really the the big one that sort of hit me because the 90s is when i you know Nine, the 90s was when I turned from 10 to 20. So those are like everybody's formative years. Sure. When when you're getting, you're finding yourself, you're becoming a person, becoming a, a um, and I, I, you know, an individual from like when you were zero to 10. Who remembers that, right? Right. Um, and so I remember um, HIV. I remember the scare. I, you know, posters when I was in, um, not even, well, not even high school, what's before high grade school, um, all sorts of, and, and I remember things like, um, in health class being taught how scary HIV and AIDS was. And yes, it was scary that we were still in the, the pandemic at this time, but what was, what was being removed from all this language was that it affected gay men the most. Yeah. And that wasn't anything I realized until um, 
until the end of high school. That wasn't even language that was within high school. And again, it's that that homophobia seeping in of of a school system that is afraid to talk about homosexuality as anything more than, you know, a footnote in in a class. And you know, I understand where that perspective comes from. I mean, I mean I made a short film about this kind of thing called Health Class. But I mean, I understand where that perspective comes from. Like you have, you know, teachers and institutions that can push down on education systems sorry not teachers parents mm-hmm. and institutions teachers that can push down <laughs> yeah i guess yeah, homophobic teachers as well that can push against those kind of things and um but the, you know the end result is you have a kids who are going to be gay and lesbian um black and white um, who are, don't have this proper education when they reach adulthood about how to have safe sex, um, about uh, the way society is going to perceive you and the the challenges that you are going to face. Um, and so in that element, in that aspect, I can um, relate to, to Marlon definitely the the uh homophobia and um the dis- the 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 culture of of fear and persecution against people who are hiv positive i myself am not hiv positive but i understand the apprehensions as someone who came of age during the time when those those anxieties were at their their highest well, you know, in, in, in 2021, I mean, it's uh, HIV is a lot different. I, this is perspective I, I I bring because I re- remember my dad fighting to uh, get you know condoms to people, and uh, and even though it's not covered in these films, you know, syringe, you know, free syringes. So there was also pushback against that. You know, they saw it as mostly a, a gay disease, but also the other you know druggies. Although you know. They weren't. It wasn't just gay and drug users. You know, it was. There was all sorts of people were impacted by AIDS, HIV. Um, but there's, I, of course, this. I like like that you use the word pandemic because that that was almost like the per- first wave, really, from the '80s into this period. And what's sad is a lot of people in this film, you know, did succumb to the disease. Uh, it's tragic, really, that that just so many people, period, during this decade, really uh, succumbed. And continue to. I, I think. I think AIDS probably kills, you know, probably ten, twenty thousand Americans a year. Certainly not as many as nineteen eighty-five, but you know, quite a few. The one thing that that struck me as an ally, but also having you know, work, seen my dad's work, was that they're living in fear, but it's it's a dual, duality of fear. As you you know, there's the fear of persecution for your sexuality. But there's also fear of that what you you know what you love, who you love, could kill you. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, I forget the name is it uh, the p- poet? What was his name again? Uh, I'd have the box in front of me. I'd have to look it up. So Essex Hempel, um, when he there you go when he is talking, um, wow. And he's he's and, you know be, being very direct, um, you know. This nut could kill me, is what he says. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I was just gonna say that 
um, that montage I think is my favorite moment in in this film is the way that poetry is edited with the um, was it we talk before we fuck or whatever whatever the, yeah, the repeated like. um, line is and then these other elements of his poetry are interjected into it and it's it's like like rounds uh, during singing I mean there is an acapella group in this uh, <laughs> film as well but it is that kind of idea of using uh, different strands of poetry um, like call and answer and echoes to again create a film that is it's delivering this message about uh, the apprehensions um, that gay men have with having sex with each other in this era with expressing their love Mm -hmm. for each other in this era but again doing it in in, um, not playful but entertaining um, cinematic that's a great word cinematic way of you know, because uh, it's almost like like uh, it's poetry as music kind of I that kind of idea. Yeah, and and I, I th- there is also different ways of expression. So uh, so yeah, I, I think of the um, the the marches that he shows and and the chants. Uh, so I think it was black 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 gay 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 that that sort of thing. You know, that was yes. very affecting to me too. And there's a later there's a short, and we'll talk about the shorts here in a minute. Um, but. You see the other side. You see some of the reactions to that, uh, which is again, you know, it's a different type of tragedy, but just a tragedy. That there was that perspective. He intercuts those the march chants, the black, 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 gay, 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 with the acapella group. Yeah, and it's so great because it's like you're folding, you're folding those chants in with the song. Where they become part of of the acapella. They're another layer another person joining that a cappella group, right? It's great. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And, and tonally, you know, this film is kind of all over the place because the snaps are certainly entertaining. Again, I mm-hmm. talk about expression. That feels like, that. it literally is expression. They're, they're, it felt, must have felt great to snap and, and, and be comfortable, uh, you know, in your own skin in this community. Um, but then, you know, you have the, the, the chants, you have the poetry, and also you can't, can't forget that Marlon Riggs told his story, uh, and you know, around the middle of the film or so, and uh, you know that that's the lived experience that, that we really get throughout the this set. You know, mm-hmm. his testimonials, so to speak, and th- that's where this overlaps. Uh, you know, the the black gay experience. I think. Um, so I I don't think you can relate to living in Georgia, <laughs> and no, <laughs> <laughs> I can, but uh, it's. Yeah, I, it was around the same time actually, because I moved there when I was fourteen, and uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was interesting, but yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. I think this was just re- really, to me, not part of the community. Uh, feels like one of the most impactful films about uh, being gay and being black I could have ever imagined. I was I was blown away by it. Absolutely. Um, again, film is an epiphy machine. This is this is as good as it gets. Like you will walk away with this a better understanding of what it's like to be um, someone that you are not, exactly. and that you will never be. Um, and that is film's great gift, um, and why uh, it's so important that we have filmmakers uh, like this. And we still do, uh, but uh, yeah, we certainly miss uh, Marlon. Um, it's difficult to transition to this one. Um, do you think we should? To, to black is black ain't 
do you think we should talk about the shorts a little bit? Because I think they're more a companion to the um, to Tongues Untied, or may, maybe kind of like a a launch or a, a, a through path from Tongues Untied mm-hmm. to Black Is through line. Yes, I, I yes I agree. We should talk about the shorts first um, before we get to Black Is Black Ain't. The one that really moved me was No Regrets. I, I, you're Canadian. Can you say the French name? <laughs> uh, No Regrets or Rien? Yeah, something like that. It's like like the ESP of <laughs> song. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I that one kind of took to, took the message, you know, say Essex Hempful's message uh, from Tongues Untied and then distilled it into the actual individuals that were like Marlon Riggs living with this disease. I thought it was very affecting. Um, what do you think of that one? Um, I think that this is his most uh, stylistic film um, in the set, which I yeah. really appreciated. Um, so what what Marlon does is these gay black men are uh, going to disclose for you that they are HIV positive. Um, and the process of disclosure is a very personal um, and emotional one mm-hmm. for everyone. And um, the visuals in this film reflect that, the, the reflect those emotions. Um, so he partially yes. will start obscuring. And the, the start of the film is with him obscuring um, parts of the faces of these men. So you'll you'll get irises on on lips as they talk, irises on an eye, um, very close ups of their hands. Um, there is silhouettes uh, of poetry and song being read to you and, and sung, and all of this really does call to mind a silent film. And yeah. um, I'm, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that this has uh, you know German expressionist influenced. But again, what he's so great at is using these styles. They're more than just styles; they actually reflect those emotions that these men are going through when they are when they disclose to you on camera um so like that's that's as good as it gets when when the the style the cinematic style uh is in perfectly aligned with the emotions and themes and subject and and ideas that he's delivering that he's bringing across um and so as they are can as they are disclosing their status um, their faces will be fully revealed yeah. to you. Um, and he's also in, intercutting them with still images of their childhood, their family, um, giving you a sense that they are more than just um, someone who is HIV positive. They're a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a family who love them. They have a past. Um, they are a full person. Yeah, uh Great, yeah, that it, it really is a beautiful alignment, um, a beautiful yet, of course, tragic. Again, I, I think I've said mm-hmm. the word tragic like fifty times so far this episode, but really, it, you know, it it was great call out on silent filmmaking uh, because and expressionism because they they did use those filters and they would blur the edges of the frame and um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I certainly see that there, and yet the confluence of uh, those images and the stories really makes it impactful. Uh, of course, I, 
I, I don't know what the, their names are, if they've even provided their names, but, you know, they... They but, do it at the end. They show you their names. Do they? The, yeah. the person... I, there was one one person that had a little bit of an accent. sounded like he was not... The the Haitian man? It was Haitian, was yeah. Haiti. Yeah. That was powerful. Um, his... Yeah. I, I, I love this speech where he says... Um, it's just a virus. Let's yeah. treat it as a virus. It's like there isn't this discrimination against people who have cancer, against people who have heart attacks. And that is the the heart of what was really going on where where there was this idea, especially uh, among like the far right and the, the far right religious groups that that AIDS was a punishment for oh, yeah. um, the sexual revolution and the gay rights movement that had um, come out of all of that. And, and it's such an absurd idea. Um, and here he is telling you about, like he's telling you about that absurdity. It is just a virus. It is nothing else exactly. than he, that. He cuts to the essence of the, of the message. And, you mm-hmm. know, we, we didn't really talk much about the back, backlash to Tongues Untied, uh, that there was yes from from those pockets. I, I think uh, they showed in the documentary. We'll get into later the seven. Yeah, that's Club. what I was saying. I yeah. was going to talk about that during the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I'll just say that I'm kind of glad it, it pissed these people off. You know that it yes. that it irked them. Like I think that's almost. I mean, I, I'm sure that Marlon Riggs definitely want, and you know everybody in this community wanted to be accepted, but that wasn't going to happen. So it it was almost like a F you, you know, mm-hmm. this is me. This is who I am. You, you know, you're you're off here. So, I mean, all you need to do is look at the times we live in now, how these films play now. They're mm-hmm. they're much more relevant. They're so relevant. Not that they weren't relevant back then, they're but they're still relevant. Yeah, you're right. They're extremely relevant. Time has has treated uh, has rewarded these films and the, and uh, the naysayers look like as they should be on the wrong side of history. Exactly, and you know, I, I I have to navigate this at work, being part of uh, inclusion and diversity. But you know, it, it, even though it is typically a lot of religious, a lot of uh, political, but I, I really don't think that this kind of that inclusion of different groups is a political or a religious issue. I think it's just a human issue, and I think that I agree. We're not there yet, but we're we, we've made progress, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we if you watch the news, we're not there yet. So there are other shorts. Uh, there's Affirmations, which was a um, uh, like kind of a spinoff from uh, from Tongues Untied. You saw the people saying, you know, you, you don't belong here. You know, yeah, that was the thing I was going to bring up. I didn't know if we wanted to save that for Black is Blanket. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, that Affirmations. So Affirmations is a short. Um, where it's a interview, uh, it's interview footage that he was going to use for Tongues Untied, and it, what mostly is about is again part of the sort of playfulness is uh, gay black men talking about penetration and their enjoyment mm-hmm. with uh, with anal sex penetration. Um, there is footage from uh, when him and his friends, part of the gay black men, a gay black man organization in the San Francisco area, they were marching. And there is a uh, heckler who yeah. is black um, and telling them that they are not part of the African experience. I can't remember if those are the exact words. Um, but what this man is doing is denying them their blackness, mm-hmm. which is, uh, again, which is Marlon um, criticizing homophobia within his own um, African-American community. 
um, which is something that we will get to uh, when we talk about <laughs> Black is Black Ain't. <laughs> yeah, it's another layer of rejection. And um, I, right. I think I, we might as well just get there. Uh, I, I think Black is Black Ain't, uh, the, well, because of Mar- Marlon's personal circumstances, I mean, it's really two films, I, I'd say. I'd say it's the I'd say it's premise the premise that he probably put on paper when he uh, had the idea for this film is really the layers of discrimination within the black community um, towards being gay and and not, not even just towards being gay just pe- you know women as well misogyny women yeah, yeah. And again that's why where I bring up the politics thing so you know it's not a it's no pun intended it's not a black white issue it's not linear or mm-hmm. um, so black is black ain't but unfortunately this was towards the end of his life and um, he was, you know, he was filmed in the hospital and, uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, he did not live to finish this, this film. Fortunately, he had a team that could carry out his vision. So I think it's, it really is two films and he, and again, they, they overlap. I think he informs both with his testimonials um, on the bed, on his, his hospital bed. But, yeah, I, I don't know. What what do you think of Black is Black Ain't? I I loved it. Um again, it's such a, a complete idea. That's really uh his gift and it is I think a, a, a stylistically a great merger of mm-hmm. um his straightforward documentaries when we talked about ethnic notions and colored adjustment. Um and his experimental documentary uh, with uh, Tongues Untied um, in his shorts. And there's uh, there's a great fusion here to create um, sort of... You can feel that this... That he knows this is his last film. And there is a great desire to say everything that he wants to say um, about what he's discovered about himself and the world he lives in um, before he leaves it. Um, and that urgency, um, he communicates so clearly and beautifully, um, and again, entertainingly. Yeah. And even in his worst, at his worst, that little, uh, segment where he does the different, uh, music the genres, the songs, oh, it was it's great. great. <laughs> he, yeah. I mean, he's such a, such a great, I mean, even, even at his lowest, uh, and, and I can't imagine dying with AIDS. I just can't imagine how just draining that is and and how that would how that experience would play out i just think it's true horror but the yeah, fact that he actually high. could be himself occasionally and then there's and in direct he was directing his crew yes, from yeah. his hospital bed he was working yeah um mm-hmm. and you're great point about the uh the merging because you do have the talking heads the interviews that, that talk about um you know how it's with people that are in this community black or gay or both and um and how they feel and i thought that was very insightful but he's you know his his position and his perspective from his hospital de- bed is kind of the glue that holds it together I, would you say mm-hmm. also the gumbo rep- recipe yes food food is a, a, a <laughs> uh, i've been watching high on the hog uh netflix about southern food and um yeah I love me some food. I love me some gumbo. You ever had it? I think so. Yeah, I've had jambalaya. I know that's different. It's different, yeah. Mm. I would try to try to make a trip to Louisiana someday, uh, but uh, I, it's not just strictly Lu- Louisiana. You know, it's, uh, did he ever live in Louisiana? 
I don't know, but Louisiana and the Creole sensibility is definitely an enormous part of what he's trying to communicate with Black Is Black Ain't. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets yeah great interviews, uh, great perspective. You know, Henry Louis Gates at that point, I think he was already becoming a notable um, historian at that point. I think now he's just truly famous. There's one thing I want to call out, and that's his... There's one instance in which he actually accepts his own demise vocally. Um, tough to watch. Tough to watch. Yes. Um, yes. Because that exact same thing happened. I would just, I just wanted to comment on as much as I can. Again, I'm a white gay male about him uh, analyzing his own African American community. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, I think three aspects of this that he is um, examining and um, the homophobia is definitely one of them. And we've, we talked uh, about a short and that same idea is here as well of um, removing his blackness and focusing just on his homosexuality makes it easier for other black men to attack him. Um, and that is a homo- that is a specific type of homophobia that he's addressing within the African American community. He's also addressing misogyny. There's a great se- sequence in Black Is Black Ain't. Well, great. It's um, it's troubling, but um, where uh, he's interviewing, I, I forget what the woman's name is, but she's talking about when her mom was caught having an affair and is being thrown out by her father. And then her father, her uncle, other um, uh, patriarchal members of her family were helping her father kick her mother out. Mm-hmm. And um, here he is. And, and she was, she was bothered by that. She was bothered that her sisters and brothers did not uh, stop, did not continue to listen to this argument that was happening, that they were having. And, and, criticize what was going on question what was going on let's talk this out um and marlon intercuts this speech she gives with um a music video um uh, black female performers i forget the name of the band um uh and it's great because again this is his playful uh not playful this is his experimental techniques um, where he's giving us images of black women that uh, society is presenting to us, this music video of what kind of figures they should be. And again, juxtapositioning it with this really upsetting story of of misogyny happening right in front of this poor woman when she was a girl. Um, and again, here... This is, again, part of him talking, uh, criticizing, and examining his own community. Um, and the, the last element, too, he talks about is, I believe it's called colorism. Um, yes, again, yes. I'm not an expert in all of this um, as a white gay man. Um, but this is where the Creole recipe really, I think, yeah. comes to a perfect head, where he, when he is in Louisiana, he's talking about how Creole... And the idea can mean all sorts of different uh, shades of mm-hmm. of skin color, and he's talk. He looks at his own family, where he says his grandmother talks like she's from the country, his mother talks like she's black, 
Um, and then he looks at himself. It's like, how do I talk? You know, he's an educated man who went to um, Harvard and U of uh, University of California. Not that I'm saying those are, are you know, you know, the, those are were instructed them how to speak. But this there's a lot that we consider to be black and discrimination within the community of as to, you know, as to how black are you? Are you behaving black? That kind of thing. Um, so that's, I guess, that is what colorism is. So mm-hmm. these these are the three um, main elements that I think make up um, black is black ain't, and and why I think this film um, seemed to be why he wanted this to be his last film is like his the last thing he has to say before he leaves, the last thing he wants to impart to his own community. Um, to make them a better, stronger, um, more close-knit, more uh, community before he leaves. Yeah, well put. And um, and yeah, he does plant the seeds for this in, in Tongues Untied, as mm-hmm. when he talks about his own history of, you know, in Georgia, of being a, a black, smart you know, kid with others. And he was rejected, you know, he was reje- rejected as a, I think he, there was that sequence where they call uppity, um, uh, right, Uncle Tom. You know, yeah. I think that's this is almost like an unpacking of that even further. Yeah, absolutely, and, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Louisiana sequence because that was very effective, especially the um, the moment when the one individual says, "I, you know, this this person is a little a- literal African." <laughs> you know, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it just yeah, it gets to the the uh, just ridiculousness of this, and and. And that's the the metaphor is the gumbo, right? The yeah. the gumbo. There's so many different spices, different types of meat, um, all sorts of things are all put into this pot, and they're all called gumbo. It's mm-hmm. all called gumbo. Yeah. yeah. So and then, yeah. That so I, it's a gum, gumbo and Marlin uh, tie that together. I think if you know, if fortunately he had been living, I think it would be a different movie. I mean, obviously we wouldn't see him dying in AIDS in bed. Um, which of course I would have preferred, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. um, but it was still the fact that he, I, I think it strengthens the impact of that because he did this. He, he worked as much as he physically could while being in the worst place imaginable. So yeah, it's a, it's quite a, quite a document. Absolutely. And I can't speak to colorism either, but you know, I've, that's part of my inclusion and diversity. There's a race and ethnicity group. Mm-hmm. And so I've sat in on some of those discussions and it's been interesting to hear about how that really is a thing. And, uh, uh, you know, people are judged based on uh, their blackness is judged based on the skin tone. And then you, at your point about the misogyny, there's also this, this masculinity that's tied up with right. being black that he taps into. And, you know, this, this was, I'd say that plays out with like, pop culture even even the um you know, the, the the tv shows certainly yep absolutely and definitely the music definitely the music so um uh yeah quite a and again like we can't speak on behalf of this but nope. i can i i only know this through marlin through what marlin is teaching Ex- me so exactly and i i think it's fair to say that we sure we can't we don't have the lived experience but we have a better understanding of how that world operates uh through his perspective and yeah, I'm just glad that he 
had the energy and his team had the energy to bring that to light. Um, mm-hmm. So absolutely. So yeah, let's um, wrap up. I, there are a lot of great supplements on the disc, but you know, I think the um, you know after watching all the work, there was the documentary about Riggs himself and his life called "I Shall Not Be Removed: uh, The Life of Marlon Riggs." It's uh, also about an hour long. Uh, that's one thing. There's not a lot of time wasted on the, on these uh these every even even the uh, the supplements very uh efficient of get getting the message across um this was again i i kind of rank this up there with the others you know it kind of like ties the bow on you know literally it's in the title the life of marlon riggs and the work of marlon riggs and kind of gives a lot of context that makes the other films e- even more um make sense does that yes do you, do you share that view Yes, I think that that is uh, what's so important about this documentary is that it really uh, frames the time period that his works came out in, um, especially Tongues Untied, which is um, the one that got him the most um, uh, publicity, the most attention. Um, Because without this documentary, you don't have have that framework. Like, I, I didn't know... Um, that Tongues Untied was used in campaign ads for yeah. Pat Buchanan when he was uh, running against George Bush during the primaries in, is it 92? Yeah, probably 92, because that that's when yeah, Tongues Untied was. 92, yeah. Yeah, and, and the footage of the 700 Club being just so offended <laughs> And and they were bringing this up in 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 the house, weren't they? Um, mm-hmm. Talking about him funding uh, for the funding of the arts and all of this stuff. And you don't, I mean, here in twenty twenty one, and depending how how young you are, you know, I was twelve when Tongues Untied <laughs> came out, and I'm living in Canada, so you just don't have that that frame of reference, and that's what makes. Uh, this documentary mm-hmm. such a vital part of of this set yeah i, I agree and uh and the, the one thing I, I do want to bring up that it was kind of interesting is that even after his death there was a little bit of criticism in watching the films i didn't realize it you know his his own lover his own partner his his husband wife spouse um was white and mm-hmm. and that he was actually uh there was controversy because that did not come up in his films um frankly i i don't think that it wasn't to that degree about him i i thought that was uh unfair but but i'm glad that he did have love in his life and uh and a companion yes me too so yeah i i think we can wrap up you know the, the, really the legacy of Riggs. i i would say that would you say that play, has played out in other areas or or do we just not know? <laughs> um, oh, I think definitely. You know, you, we had mentioned, and you had mentioned throughout this chat about um, what it would have been like if he was still around. And um, the essay in this set um, by K. Austin Collins, uh, the end of the essay talks about that. And um, as I, you know, look at the world today, you know, when we see things like like Collins had said, Moonlight winning the Academy Award, yeah, um, I just you know Little Nas X just released a music video um, that's a lot of fun and 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 racy and just getting all the 
uh, attention um, over the internet and and you know these sorts of things I can't help but you know draw a, a straight line towards Marlon um, and it makes Marlon so much more relevant I mean it makes him relevant again yeah um, absolutely and and without him would these things exist um, and and even would his his discriminating eye what would he say about them would he be uh what were, what are the positives and negatives what are some things that he would find about the see about them that we're not seeing um i you know i wish that he was around i do too i do too i would have taken 50 more films from him uh, absolutely i did uh, there there is a uh, a channel curation of films that are that were inspired by uh by Marlon Riggs, so uh, I, I'm just looking at the list. I, I have not seen any of them, unfortunately. And maybe if they are, um, if they're small budget like his, uh, you know, PBS or indie films, then that might be why they might just not be readily available, just like his films weren't until now. So um, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes for that and recommend you check it out. But yeah, Moonlight's a great call out. I think mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, if Barry Jenkins had seen Marlon Riggs his work or if he knew of Riggs. I would imagine he probably did, but yeah, it certainly plays out very effectively. Um, uh, really, just the, the crux of the message I think that um, that Riggs was um, was sending out. So, good exactly, call. good yep. call. Well, that was a great discussion, Brad. Uh, thanks for <laughs> for bringing it. Um, no, thanks for inviting me. Um, I was I was more than happy to deep dive into this set. It's it's totally worth it. It is, and uh, if you've listened this far, you probably have <laughs> bought the set and watched it. And um, I'd love to hear from other people just how how it, you know specifically how it has moved you and, and changed your behavior. So I I can think of a couple examples myself, uh, but uh, yeah, we'd we'll, we'll love to continue that conversation. Absolutely. So let's well, end this episode with uh, a piece of flair. So end on a high note, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, I, I love his work, but it is heavy. It is very heavy. Yes. <laughs> so, well, piece of flair is just anything that's not in the criterion that you've been digging. So, Brad, what have you got? Sure. Um, I am still catching up with uh, the best films of 2020. It's been kind of a messed up uh, year for all of us. So, um, I would like to still compile my best of from 2020. So, bear with me. But I did just watch <laughs> another um, uh, another round, which won uh the be- the Oscar for best foreign film uh starring um Mads Mikkelsen um and I loved it it's great it's about um uh sorry it's about four uh high school teachers in Denmark um who discover alcohol and they're kind of going through a midlife crisis um and they're wondering perhaps if alcohol could give them the zest for life that they're missing <laughs> um I I liked the, I love this film a lot because it is a thorough sort of examination of how alcohol intersects our lives um, for the good and for the very bad, and I felt that it was unafraid to show those sides, um, especially I think some of the good elements, um, which uh, can be troubling um, because we always we do 
correctly want to associate alcohol with very bad things because it can lead to very bad things. Sure. But there are elements of it that do help us. Um, and so I kind of felt that this film was courageous in going to the extremes of both sides of alcohol. And it's a great performance by Mads Mackelson, as always. Yeah. He's amazing <laughs> in it. He's great. And uh, quite a finale, too. So the end of the yes. film is... Uh, very interesting. Yeah, we, we liked it too. Yeah. I, and I think there, this is not the first time that's been a piece of flair on the show. But oh, I think this whoops. is the first time since <laughs> I had seen it. So um, it's nice to nice to hear that you liked it as well. Uh, well, mine is about Almost Famous. Uh, Paramount uh, put out a 4K UHD version of the, the film that had uh, the theatrical cut and what what's called the bootleg cut. And, you know, I, lo- I love Almost Famous. I think it's one of the best films about uh, the rock experience um, that, I, that I've seen. Uh, again, I don't have that lived experience either, but uh, it sh- certainly comes through in this film. But I did not know about the bootleg cut, and I'm kind of surprised that I didn't because it was, it's was it been around since, like, 2002. So, But it's, now it's uh, in 4K, and it looks amazing, and it adds about 40 minutes to the uh, th- theatrical cut. And it really, I mean, it's it's the same movie for the most part, but it really fleshes out, uh, you know, like the band dynamic and the dysfunction more than the film does. The film, I think, focuses on the band, sure, but it's more mm-hmm. about the lead character, him, him yeah. and uh, and uh, uh, Kate Hudson, Penny Kate Wayne. Hudson, yeah. And less uh, the band, you know, the band. Uh, what the footage in the the theatrical cut, I think, fleshes out those two characters. Um, Whereas this is a more well-rounded version. So what I put on Letterboxd was that I, I, it's been too long since I've seen theatrical to really compare them. Uh, but what I really loved was that tiny dancer scene um, with the extra footage in the, the, the extended version. That scene, which is great, is even better because it's not that was not just a reaction to the party. And, um, and if you've seen it, you know the swimming pool scene. Yes, I was going to say, this is the swimming pool scene, isn't it? It's been a while since I've seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was right after the swimming pool scene, but the thing is, prior to that scene, there's many others that show a divided band. Um, and so this was kind of a like a, a brief celebration of unity within the band that uh, that even before the, the swimming pool scene wasn't there. So great movie, one of the all-time uh, best music films so um glad to watch it i think I, I will watch the theatrical too just um since this is fresh in my mind all right where can we uh find you online brad um well you can find me in the uh, criterion now uh facebook group where i'm usually posting updating everybody on um you know upcoming releases and trying to get as many scoops as possible um <laughs> It's a lot of fun. And you can find my reviews on uh, Letterboxd at, at Mr. Brad McD. Mr. Brad McD, you have been bringing some scoops lately, a, a really big one just the other day. Um, and I love that you share the Arrow films and some of the other releases, too. So, oh, uh, yeah, you're, you're a good, uh, you're a good, good uh, <laughs> poster, I guess, for lack of a better term, in that group. You're, oh, thanks. You're a good trying player. to keep everybody updated, trying to get people access to films that they've never seen before so it's important stuff you've you've cost mm-hmm. me money so and, and <laughs> i mean that in a good way yeah right, well, glad to have you um love the conversation so everybody pick up marlon riggs if you haven't he's absolutely a, he's a legend do it all right brad thanks again
Thanks very much, Aaron.